You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to you out there. You are listening to America's Web Radio, and this is the prologue. Now, my name is Doug Dahlgren. I'm going to be your host for this next hour. Now, I want to particularly welcome those men and women in our armed forces who we know are listening around the world, either that be live or through the podcast. We thank you guys and gals for what you do and offer Godspeed for your safe return. Now, I also want to include in that those uh, first responders back here at home. I'm talking about police, fire, and rescue personnel. They get a lot of bad raps lately, but those folks headlong into whatever unknown danger there is when we get our little tails in trouble. So remember them, thank them when you see them for what they do, okay? Now, this program is mainly a book review program, but it is for readers and non-readers alike. You see, the material that we bring you on the prologue is fresh, entertaining, and quite possibly irresistible even to you hardcore non-readers out there. I've got to warn you that our conversion rate is pretty darn high. So if you'll sit back, turn your volume up a tick, and listen, you're going to enjoy this hour, and we just might make you a reader. So here we go. Starting out with a little quotation. We all have freedom of choice. None of us, however, has freedom from consequences. Now, that slogan might be a real good campaign slogan, or it might not be, particularly with the crowd we've got running on both sides today. But it surely is a very good life lesson. It comes from the main character in a new thriller novel that's about business. Yes, I said business. The story takes us inside the world of high-tension backstabbing and smiles. The author is Mr. Gerald Gillis, and he takes us into a world where the occupants dare not blink. That's the title of today's book, and this is your prologue. The chairman and founder of a multi-million dollar company has suddenly died, struck down by cancer with no warning to employees or staff other than the president of the company who chose to keep this information to himself for strategic reasons. He now sets about his plan through backroom deals and pulling strings to consolidate his own position at the now vacant top of that corporate pyramid. There's but one young regional vice president with a penchant for loyalty, integrity, and excellence that stands in his way. The backstabbing and dirty tricks of the battle are mostly quiet rumblings, and yet the young VP finds himself in a fight, not only for his job, but for the company he's grown to love and the very soul of corporate America. That title again is Dare Not Blink, The author of this page-turning thriller is with us this hour. Please say hello with me to Mr. Gerald Gillis. How are you doing, Jerry? Good. Uh, Pleasure to be on the prologue with you, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to have you, sir. I'm glad you were able to get up this morning. I know retired writers sometimes sleep in, but uh, (laughs) we, we, we got you going. Now, business or books about business are supposed to be dry and kind of boring. Uh, What gave you the idea for this rich thriller? Well, I wanted to write a story about business, about business people and business situations, and about the nature of the rough-and-tumble business. We're largely based 
upon the 25-plus years I spent in corporate America, I thought, you know, first of all, it would be an entertaining story. If I could write it in such a way that both business and uh, non-business people could identify with the characters and the situations without having to muddle through a lot of business jargon or, or ridiculously complex business scenarios. And I thought a story about a business leader could also be an effective way to illustrate good uh, time-tested leadership principles and, and high ethical standards. There's some very good and very ethical business leaders out there, although the public tends to hear the opposite sort when a scandal surfaces. So uh, Dare Not Blink is a business thriller. I doubt many people have read thrillers about business any more than they've read thrillers about you know, hospital food. People read business books and people read thrillers, but maybe not so much business thrillers. And so that was the goal of Dare Not Blink, to create a presence in that space. Well, that's a very good uh, motive to have for, for coming up with a storyline. Uh, Dare Not Blink, like you said, is full of good ethics and morality and loyalty, things that we don't hear about on the news or we don't read about it in the paper. That's, uh, you know, Things that when you do something right, it's what you do when nobody's looking. And so that's the way that tends to work. Yep. Now, Dare Not Blink, where can our listeners find more information about your book and, of course, order their own copy? Well, they can find it through either uh, either Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. There's a link through my website, geraldgillis.com, G-E-R-A-L-D-G-I-L-L-I-S.com. Uh, and that will link them through to the uh, to the online bookseller. All right, very good. Now, before we get into Dare Not Blink too deeply, I want to go back a few years and find out a little bit about Gerald Gillis. Okay. Can we play this game? All right. Yep. Now, you're a native Georgian. You were I raised am. out. Okay, raised outside of Atlanta. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your early years. Well, um, I was um, I was raised in Decatur. Um, I'm. You know, there are not many Atlanta natives left, maybe seven or eight of us, it seems. I spent a lot of time uh, uh, playing ball as a kid. I could have learned a lot of practical stuff about how to fix a car or how to build a, you know, how to build a Kool-Aid stand into a corporate, uh, a corporate monster, but I was too busy trying to master hitting to the opposite field. I had a great childhood, good home situation. My mother taught me early on about the power of the written word and, when I got to high school, um, I had a wonderful English teacher named uh, Margaret Davis who encouraged me further still. So, uh, And what a perfect example of teacher she was, and I'll always be grateful for her for her tutelage. So I went through the public schools in, uh, in, uh, in Decatur and then uh, graduated from there and went on to, uh, to the University of Georgia. Now, what high school was that that you had this wonderful? That was, uh, that was Druid Hills High School. Um, <coughs> Druid Hills. Uh, one of the good ones. I understand you just had a 50th uh, reunion there over the weekend. We did, um, and they, uh, we, you know, we had a, a, a wonderful turnout, and, uh, and it was just great uh, getting back to the school and seeing a lot of people I hadn't seen in a number of years, and, uh, and some of the people that I go back to the very first days of, of elementary school with. Goodness. Well, I think we might have a few of them listening this morning. At least I hope so. Well, I hope uh, so too. Hello to them. If they are. <laughs> Absolutely. Go Drew to Hills. All right, now, after high school, you attend the University of Georgia. What did you major in at the University of Georgia? Well, I, uh, I majored in accounting, which, you know, all aspiring authors major in, right? Um, right. So, 
<laughs> so I found uh, I, I found accounting to be a, a very useful major, but uh, but once I got into the business world, I really preferred kind of the operations side. So um, so it was uh, it was nice to have an understanding of accounting, but it was even nicer to uh, to be uh, the one who uh, used the accounting information rather than the one who was providing it. So uh, from that standpoint, it was. Uh, it wasn't a complete waste of an undergraduate degree at all, but uh, but it wasn't the, the the career course that I pursued. Now, while you were there, your loyalties in sports kind of turned from baseball over more to football. Am I right? Well, yeah, it's kind of hard to, uh, to to have any association with the University of Georgia and not be a uh, not be a, a diehard Bulldog, especially in the fall when the when the dogs play between the hedges. And I understand you're still a pretty loyal uh, season ticket holder. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So far, as long as uh, you know, as long as I can, uh, I can. If, if they'll keep playing, I'll keep showing up until I just can't anymore. Well, I got a feeling they're going to keep playing. So that's the way that works. Yeah. Now, you spend four years in Athens, Georgia. You get your degree. I understand that there's a young lady named Debbie from your old neighborhood back in Decatur, Georgia that finally caught up with you around that place and that time. You want to tell us about her? Yeah, I think it was probably more the opposite, me catching up with her. But uh, smartest thing I've ever done, She's uh, she's been the glue that's kind of held everything together. We've been uh, we've been married for uh, 46 years now, three, uh, three kids, eight grandkids, uh, the oldest of whom is about to have his own high school graduation here pretty soon. Outstanding. How... Uh, how many children and grandchildren came from that union? Uh, three, uh, three grown kids and eight ungrown grandkids. With uh, you know, with the oldest again being being ready to go, ready to graduate from high school. Super. And you enjoy getting together with them. They don't live too terribly far away, or no, they're just a source. Of, well, it, yeah, they are kind of spread out in New York, Florida, and Georgia. They're, uh, but they're a source of uh, of great joy and and more often than not, equally great exhaustion. But it's a, it's a sweet kind of exhaustion. <laughs> I understand that. Now, like so many of us back in those days, and we're talking the late 60s and the early 70s, you found yourself in the military soon after graduation. Tell us a little bit about your experience with the military. Well, I served uh, served three years as an artillery officer in the in the U.S. Marine Corps, which in uh, in many ways was was tantamount to, to receiving a master's degree in leadership. Marine Corps is just saturated with great leader examples, both uh, both past and present. And I was really fortunate to be exposed to a lot of truly gifted leaders, both officer and uh, NCOs. And those leadership principles, and especially those leadership lessons, uh, stayed with me as a as a young officer on out into the uh, into the business world and uh, and served me well really well after your service in the marines uh, it was right to work earning that master's degree where, where did you guys go for that well we were in uh, we moved to tampa with the job and uh, and i got a, a master's degree an mba from the university of tampa um ut had a uh, had a small but excellent mba program and they had a particular interest in, in military veterans and even active duty military people from uh, the big McDill Air Force Base there, and I, I've always appreciated that about them. They made, it, uh, they made it a good transition for us. So your background is building here to make you uh, 
an expert at the field of writing that you're going to be going into. In fact, you've got extensive background in corporate society. You've got quite a resume. You've traveled with business. You've held several executive-level positions. And you've actually witnessed from the inside some of these things that you write about, acquisitions and mergers and how that can get down and dirty sometimes. Sure. Yep. Yeah, all of that was useful. You're right, Doug. All that was useful for the writing. I saw, uh, I saw the good and the bad. I saw the hard things that uh, that uh, that describes the private sector. Sometimes it can be a it can be a pretty unforgiving place. And I was around leaders of all stripes. Some gifted, and, and others maybe not so much. So uh, the, um, the, the the experiences, the friendships, the travel, the uh, the kind of the study of the corporate world and the corporate leaders was uh, was all useful in the writing. How many specific characters that you worked with or around did you draw from and are actually portrayed in your book Dare Not Blink? Oh, probably dozens. Uh, I, I don't have uh, any any single character that uh, that I try to portray. It's probably just a uh, kind of a, a mesh of many. Um, uh, not just uh, not just personal characteristics, but leadership style. So yeah, I would I would think it just uh, is an amalgamation of a lot of different experiences with leaders. Okay, very good, folks. This is America's Web Radio. My name's Doug Dahlgren, and you're listening to the Prologue. We've got our guest this morning, Mr. Gerald Gillis. He's the author of the business thriller Dare Not Blink, and we're going to be right back after these short messages. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. 
Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. My name is Doug Dahlgren. You're listening to The Prologue here on America's Web Radio. Our guest this morning is Mr. Gerald Gillis. Now, he has, among other books, a business thriller that he calls Dare Not Blink, and we've been talking about his background and what kind of gave him the experience level that he needed to be able to write this book. Uh, Jerry, uh, all that that you had about business and the training and the degrees and the master's degree, yet when you begin your writing, the subject matter is not business. The first two books, actually, are about your time in the service. There's Bent But Not Broken, which uh, came out about, what, 27, 28 years ago? Maybe more than that. Yeah, mid-80s, sure was. Okay. And then the award-winning novel, Shall Never See So Much. Tell us a little bit about those. Well, the um, uh, I had a um, had an opportunity to write a book uh, back in the mid '80s, and uh, and it was published by a, a small uh, regional publisher, um, and it and it did pretty well. But I, I had to I had to make a decision on whether or not I wanted to kind of roll the dice and, and and stay with a with a business career that was getting some traction then, or you know to take a chance on being a fledgling author, which might also be starving author, so I had a I had kids and I had a mortgage and car payments and kids were getting ready to go to go to college soon. So I decided to uh, to stay with writing and um, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to stay with the business and then come back to writing at some other point. Some things you just kind of know, you know, like uh, <laughs> like like yeah. sharpening the blade after you start the mower. So I uh, I did come back to writing, but it was there was. <laughs> There's a 25-year hiatus in there uh, between the, the publishing of the first and second books. Some people have asked me if I was in prison. I'm happy to say I wasn't uh, under any under any of those uh, those circumstances or times. So. Now we're we're talking a little bit about the books. Uh, let's let's back up and let's go with the last one first. Let's get to the to the meat of the conversation for today. Dare not blink. I yeah. want to start with that one. All right. Now. Tell the people out there where they can find all of your books, okay? We don't want to forget doing that. Dare Not Blink, Shall Never See So Much, and Bent But Not Broken. Tell the folks where they can find these books and order their copies. Yeah, Bent But Not Broken is out of print, so they'll, they, they can find that in the secondary market, however they would go about that. But, uh, but Shall Never See So Much and Dare Not Blink are the two more recent ones in the last four or five years, and they're available through... Um, either Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and there are links to those uh, from my website, uh, GeraldGillis.com. G-E-R-A-L-D-G-I-L-L-I-S.com. All right. Now, dare not blink deals with business, ethics, yep. loyalty, all that good stuff. Yeah. Now, ethics, loyalty, uh, and business—words uh, that to a lot of us out there might seem to be antithetical. Your story deals with ethics, and you demonstrate a very firm belief in them, even within corporate society. Now, that's a place where skeptical people uh, among us, like myself, say that may not exist. Now, is there something particular that gave you interest in business ethics? 
Yeah, there is, um, and a lot of it, I think, goes back to the uh, to the Marine Corps. Um, I think that business is an honorable and, and worthwhile profession. When America, you're right. When Americans open a newspaper or turn in, into an evening newscast, they can see examples of executive misconduct and all of the damage it very often creates, and and it tarnishes much of what's good and right about business and business people. Uh, but we all have ethical lapses now in, in what seems like epidemic proportions among virtually all segments of society. I choose to write and speak about ethics and business because I'm from that sector and I care about it deeply. And because I want to see young people of integrity and talent and energy come into the profession and make it better and not be turned off because of the low regard the public has of, uh, of business executives. Young men and women can come into business and do well financially, of course, but they can also become involved in providing products and services that can help other people live better lives. So that's uh, that's a, a particular interest that I have in, uh, in kind of mentoring and and promoting the uh, the profession of business is something that's uh, that's noble and worthwhile. Well, I think you said it well when you said that you don't see the good stories. That's not what makes the news. It's just like with our police today. Uh, those split-second decisions can appear to be unethical. Some of them may well be, but some of them are simply split-second decisions. We're all human, and we make mistakes from time to time. We do. But those things, they get exploited and they get blown up, and that's what everybody reads about. So uh, the police, if they make a mistake, my goodness, they're all terrible. In the business world, if somebody makes a, a split-second decision and does something that may not seem appropriate to everybody else, well, they get hung with that, and that, and that, that becomes their career. Uh, it's not fair, is it? Well, you know, Doug, Americans seem to have a very high regard for a lot of millionaire athletes and actors and rock stars, but, but they often have no regard for the men and women who, who took chances and made sacrifices and built businesses that created jobs and lots of jobs in, on, on occasion, which is you know, which has, in my opinion, a far higher net benefit to society and, and who may have become wealthy in the process. Um, and, and if you look at, uh, in our own town of Atlanta, if you look at some of the things that, uh, that business executives have done, like the, uh, like, like the Georgia Aquarium with, uh, with Bernie Marcus from Home Depot, you know, those are the sorts of things that, uh, that benefit society in general, and those are um, part, of the, uh, part of the results of a person having been successful in business and then having given back, much as, uh, as Bill Gates is doing now with some of the work he's doing uh, on, uh, on helping with solving um, diseases that, uh, that grip so much of the third world. And it's so much more difficult these days. Uh, just like you bring up Bernie Marcus, he has said, point blank, he would not be able to start up a Home Depot today like he was able to, what was it, 35, 40 years ago. Yeah. It just couldn't happen. And that's a shame, you know. It's just truly a shame. Uh, through Dare Not Blink, you really pound hard on and seem to be a real strong proponent of the free enterprise system itself. And that system is under attack today by so many that say, well, free is not necessarily fair. There's that word again, fair. Give us your take on our free enterprise system and why it's important. Well, I, you know, I think it's our, our American system of free enterprise is something that we should continuously and relentlessly strive to, to improve, but, but never apologize for. It's provided 
millions of our citizens with uh, with economic prosperity and with upward mobility and just the dignity that comes from honest effort and accomplishment. Talked about some of the things that business leaders have done to give back, but leaders and innovators, they've given our society uh, astonishing advancements in, in transportation and communications, manufacturing, medicine, information, and, and, and many others. We've helped, uh, businesses helped the nation win world wars and and helped, uh, helped with poverty. I think it's a legacy worth worth preserving and certainly a legacy worth building upon. I know that there are executives with egos that, you know, that could fit snugly into the Basilica of St. Peter's in Rome and a few other public places, but there's no shortage of, of, uh, of arrogance and, uh, and, and outsized egos uh, in the private sector. My goodness, you can go to Washington, D.C. And, uh, and find them there by the, by the bushel basket. Isn't that the truth? Uh, you know, another good point, everybody complains about our system, how it's not fair and, you know, the rich rule everything. You don't see too many people trying to climb a fence to get out of this country, do you? No, no you don't. And, and that's the thing that people need to just stop, take a look, and realize what they're talking about. Uh, this system is the best in the world if it we is. don't destroy it. It's not perfect. Uh, there are a no. lot of uh, there are a lot of imbalances, and it's a uh, it's a rough and tumble place, as I write in Dare Not Blink. Um, but there's uh, there's a lot about it that uh, that we can uh, that we should that we should be proud of, and there's a lot of about it that we can improve upon. And uh, you know, I talk about uh, in some of the talks that I give about a, a, a greater emphasis from our business schools on the study of ethics at the, at the undergraduate and graduate level. That helps, I think. Um, our free enterprise system prosper and grow to have an image of ethical people being involved in it. Um, our military does a really good job of training its officers and NCO in ethics and codes of conduct. And there's no reason why our schools can't can't do the same. In fact, there's every reason for them to spare no expense in teaching ethics. And certainly that that again that bolsters our free enterprise system where people we have a system of trust in this country, economic and social trust. And when the public thinks the system's rigged by government Wall Street insiders, and that trust erodes. Uh, so there needs to be an effort on the part of people in business and, and, the, and the people who support business to make sure that uh, that, that social and economic trust isn't, uh, isn't abrogated, isn't violated. And that trust but that goes back, that goes right back to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago about how these types of actions that are really blown up when they happen Everybody seizes on it and makes a big deal. Those are really few and far between. The day-in and day-out business decisions are for the best of the corporation, which, by the way, I hate to tell you folks, folks out there, but a corporation is people, okay? A uh, corporation is not this big old green blob over there sucking up money. A corporation's people. It's a lot of union people, and it's a lot of regular working people. But, you know, when you when you hear about an unethical situation going on, that doesn't mean that uh, that's the way business is. Sometimes things happen. We've got uh, we've got three of at least three, maybe more of the Fortune 100 best places to work at uh, here in Georgia with Aflac and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and the WellStar Health System. I've been either a patient or had a family member as a patient at two of those companies that I just mentioned. And I know that uh, that their level of care and the way they treat their employees and their net benefit to society is uh, is great, uh, and so it's uh, it's easy to understand why those would be voted as uh, as one of the better places in the nation to work. 
I'm not going to put you on a spot and ask you how what your opinion of him is, but with Donald Trump throwing his head in the ring, he's probably the only pure business person. That's his experience, his business. He's not a politician. He's going to need to learn to be one. But what do you think his impact will be on this race, both well, sides? I, part of me thinks it will be... Um, Part of me thinks it would be negligible, uh, but some of the things that he's that, that he's saying as a kind of an, an anti-Washington outsider always seem to resonate. It will just be can somebody out anti-Washington outsider him? And and you know Carly Fiorina is bringing that same sort of uh, sort of theme, and so it's been. I was just sitting here. I I did not mean to exclude her. You're right. She's also from the business world. And Dr. Carson is uh, is from from. Uh, you know, from medical. The medical profession. So uh, it, it'll be interesting. I, Trump, Trump has, Trump has a lot of things to, uh, to, uh, to draw upon, and and, and he's never is, he's never without a, uh, a shortage of words. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Indeed, it will. And folks, we're here with Gerald Gillis. He is the author of Dare Not Blink, a business thriller that you're going to want to read. My name's Doug Dahlgren. This is the prologue, and we're here on America's Web Radio. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Have you tuned in to the Master Gardener Hour lately? We have a brand new look. Come and join me, the new host, Kate Copsey, every Saturday at 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
And we're back again. My name is Doug Dahlgren. We're here with the prologue. My guest today is Gerald Gillis, author of a business thriller, Dare Not Blink. Gerald, I love this quote from the book, Dare Not Blink, and I'm quoting now, folks. Some of the most ruthless people in business can also be some of the biggest cowards. Beware the ass kissers, for they're quick to slash, as quick to slash as they are to smack. And both activities performed chiefly from the rear. Uh, that's very descriptive, and anybody who's ever been in business knows how true that is. Well, there are a lot of bullies in business. There are, uh, there, there, you know, a lot of intellectual bullies who uh, who seem to think that, uh, and, and, and sometimes are the, uh, the the smartest people in the room. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it, I mean, there, there, there are bullies everywhere. There's, I know a lot of. Uh, a lot of stories about uh, bullying and anti-bullying, and, and and what we need to do to to teach young people to to not be bullies. But there's bullying in business, sure, and and it's uh, it's all part of a uh, I guess it's all part of a human nature that exists in every uh, every element of society. It's uh, it's fun to deal with them sometimes, and uh, and other times not so much fun to deal with. Oh them. yeah. Well, now with that subject out of the way, that brings up our next little bit of wisdom. Loyalty. Loyalty seems lost today. Now, loyalty is another principle that is, uh, you know, a lot of people smile and they consider it outdated. You see, like you described, this cold, cutthroat world of business, and uh, somebody once said, if you need a friend, buy a dog. Yeah. So uh, you cover loyalty in the book, Dare Not Blink. Tell us a little bit about how you do that. Well, again, I think it, uh, you know, my, my concept of loyalty is that it's not an outdated concept. I, I, I think I, I, again, draw on my experience with the Marine Corps, which is intensely loyal, um, and, and I might add intensely successful. Um, I wouldn't want to work for a company who felt that the loyalty of its employees was no longer possible or practical or even beneficial. It just... I know companies can't promise lifetime employment anymore. That uh, that we all understand, but that doesn't mean that by extension there can be no loyalty in the business world as a result. Just look at who at who wins in business. It's the companies. Uh, is it the companies who intimidate their employees, or who browbeat their people, or who manage every detail with top-down, you know, firm autocratic autocratic control? That's typically not them. The winners are the companies with. Or with those that are energetic and empowered and loyal, who feel that same sort of loyalty in return. And a couple of them that I just mentioned with Aflac and Children's Healthcare and Wellstar are, are certainly examples of that. You know, Doug, how can I be how can I be loyal in every other relationship I have in my life, my marriage or my friends, my school, my church, my branch of service, my polling team? and be agnostic toward my employer and thus my work where I spend so much of my time. It just doesn't compute with me. Good business leaders know how to engender loyalty in their organizations in the way they deal with their employees in an open and transparent manner, the way they train and support them, the way they, you know, the way they shoulder the blame and share the credit. It's not rocket science, but, but, but it's not outdated either. No, you're absolutely right, and, and people you know from your daily experiences, whether you're going into a retail store or a major corporate office, you can tell right away by the way the employees, the people you meet, the way they act towards you as a customer or a visitor, you can get a real good feel for how that company operates, well, exactly whether that be right. good or 
good or bad. Be, you're right. It couldn't be any more clear if it were painted on their forehead. Exactly. And, and it's just a, a direct reflection of what they just left when they got out of that meeting and came out to deal with you. Now, as, as we've talked about before and tried to drum home to folks, and there's a lot of guys out there probably at their desk waiting for lunch hour to get here that are in these corporate situations that are going, my gosh, I can't believe he's talking about that. That's going on on the next floor up. Uh, yeah, it is. The storyline of Dare Not Blink is an edgy sheet thriller. And that material that you drew from, uh, how much of that was really personal experience that you went through in your career? Quite a bit of it. Uh, the, with regard to the, uh, to the ownership changes which occur uh, in Dare Not Blink, I was a part of five of those events in my career. Four times my company was acquired and once my company was the acquirer. And it's never easy. It's always stressful. And you, you can never really be certain that it's, that it's going to work, that it's going to work for the organizations or that's going to work for you. And it's common enough that, that most people who have been around the business for a while have, have experienced that one way or another, directly or, or indirectly. So, yeah, all of, that, uh, all of that's personal experience. I think a reader can identify with the, with the uncertainty that, that comes with a change of ownership. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, it, it, the storyline in my book, I never had to fight off a pack of, uh, of hungry executive wolves quite the way my my main character does. But uh, the nice thing about about fiction, Doug, is that you can write whatever you want. Well, that's true. But when you stay in the, uh, like I try to call mine, plausible fiction, that's what really perks the ears up because it's stuff that is not people flying around in bat suits. It's people, experiences that people can relate to and things that they know could possibly happen if they didn't. So, And that's what you bring us with Dare Not Blink. Now, I have already used two quotes from your main character, Dave Page. Uh, I've got one more I want to share with the listeners, and that is don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. The other guy just might fumble on his own end line. <laughs> now, Dave Page is a pretty good leader and is described as just basically a darn all-around good guy. How much Gerald Gillis is in Dave Page? Oh, probably more in the flaws than the strengths. That's, that's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, you know, Dave uh, Dave Page tries to do the right thing. He's fair-minded, but he's but he's tough and driven, and he's a uh, he's an unselfish leader, and he's guided by a strong sense of uh, of personal and professional ethics. And like I say, he's not he's not uh, he's not perfect, but he's talented and. And he keeps striving to improve himself as a as an individual and as a business exec. I think of when I think of Page, I think of someone who many in pe- many people in business would rather work for a guy like Dave Page than compete against him. And once they've worked for him, they're fans for life. And I would guess that most of us have have come across at least one such person in uh, in our lives along the way. That was very well put. You'd rather work for him than work against him. Yeah. Yeah, because he's going to do the right. Yeah, that's and once perfect. you've been around him, then you, uh, you know, you 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 don't want to go. Now, there's an interesting side feature to uh, Dare Not Blink. It's a book within a book, and you call it Pages Laws of Business. Yeah. Now, tell us how this came about. Well, um, 
it, it's a it's a collection of uh, observations and insights and and even lessons learned that, that Dave Page periodically records in a handwritten journal. He carries a laptop, but he's got this handwritten journal that he calls Page's Laws of Business. That uh, that when he thinks it's appropriate for him to make that notation, he writes it down and and uh, and through the course of Dare Not Blink, uh, through the events and circumstances, he's uh, he's actually making these uh, these observations. So. As an author, I created it to help develop Dave Page as a character, but the feedback we got was so encouraging that my publisher, Navigator Books, suggested we develop it into an e-book, uh, which we've done, and it's, uh, it's been very well received. And it's, uh, it's a no-cost uh, e-book. It's free, and you can find it on, uh, on Smashwords, or there's a link, uh, again, through, uh, through GeraldGillis.com. This is a good point to tell everybody where they can find all of your books. Let's do that one more time. Yep, they can find the uh, the, the books in print or uh, or the um, ebook version of them at uh, Amazon and uh, and and uh, uh, Barnes and Noble, or you can go to my website uh, gerogillis.com, and there are links to uh, to each of those and uh, and and a link to Smashwords for Pages Laws of Business, which is the the free. Okay, now. Those who read Dare Not Blink, what of Dave Page do you as the author hope the readers will take away from that book? Well, that he's, um, that he's fair, um, that he's ethical, and, uh, and that he has a, uh, uh, a strong loyalty toward the organization that he works for and the people with whom he works, the people who work for him, and that, uh, that he's... Uh, you know, he's an all-around, uh, all-around good guy who tries to uh, tries to do the right thing, and uh, and and in trying to do the right thing, um, has the uh, has the courage to uh, to face up to those who uh, who maybe aren't trying to do the right thing, uh, which is uh, kind of the the you know the the, the tension that, uh, that that permeates so much of the uh, of the story. Dave's trying to uh, trying to fight off a group of uh, very ambitious and even ruthless execs who were. After you, you mentioned Doug earlier. The the, the premise was that uh, that the president and founder, or the chairman and founder of the company, dies suddenly, and that uh, that creates a leadership void. And uh, you know, and there are a lot of people moving toward that. And and uh, and Dave is one, and others uh, who are opposing him uh, are also moving toward that uh, that vacated space. And so it's a it's a it's a contest, and sometimes not a uh, not a very not a very delicate one. Uh, a lot of elbows and something like that. And a lot of very sharp elbows, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, is there a sequel on the horizon to Dare Not Blink? I don't think so. Um, I think the, um, um, I think the, the, the sequel, um, if I do a sequel, may be involved in the one that I've, uh, that I've just recently done. Um, so, no, I don't think there will uh, be a I – I, uh, I think I'll let Dave Page uh, – Run with this one to uh, to the now. End. You said just recently done. We have to hear about this. What have you done? Well, I've got a uh, I've got a story now that's being shot to to uh, to several publishers. It's called uh, That Deadly Space, and it's a story of an aged Confederate veteran who, uh, while he's hospitalized in Atlanta during the year 1918, he gets an unexpected visit from from his grandson, who, uh, who, who he hasn't seen in 10 years and who is about to leave for his own overseas duty in World War I. And so the story is built around uh, that reunion, and then uh, I tell the story through the grandfather of him 
giving his accounts of the major battles of the Civil War to his grandson, and then that that bonding relationship, a renewed and bonding relationship that those two have. So it's a historical novel, uh, much like uh, Shall Never See So Much as a historical novel, and it was just a lot of fun to write. So that one, I think, is, uh, is set up pretty nicely for a sequel if, uh, if, if I want to do that. Super. Explain to the listeners exactly what that deadly space is. It's the, uh, it's the space... Uh, if you remember in the Civil War where the lines uh, sort of uh, move toward one another, uh, of course it's not, uh, it's not restricted to the Civil War, but it's that space where uh, the, the, the battle is occurring at its hottest. Um, I have a, a, a pretty neat description of it in the book, but, uh, but it's essentially that, uh, that space that, uh, um, where, the, uh, where the lines are drawn and where the weapons are, are, are aimed and where the shots are being fired and, uh, and all sorts of really horrible things go on inside that space. Well, that sounds interesting. We're going to look to hear more from that. Folks, we're going to take our last break here. I am Doug Dahlgren. We're talking with Gerald Gillis, the author of Dare Not Blink and other books, and we're going to be back in just a couple of moments. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back again. My name is Doug Dahlgren. We're on America's Web Radio. This is your prologue. Today's book is Dare Not Blink, and we've got the author, Gerald Gillis, with with us today. Uh, We've been talking about Dare Not Blink and some of your other books. Let's go back a second here and talk about the Vietnam era. Uh, that's a t- time that just really had a, an effect on our country. And, in fact, I think those effects probably carried over into the business world. But uh, the book shall never see so much. How did you come up with that particular title? Well, I had a uh, – the, the title's actually uh, um, borrowed from a, a line in King Lear, but I, I, I thought I had a good story to tell about one of the more – uh, unusual and divisive times in American history, and I wanted to take it a, a family that could be considered typical in many ways and show how that period affected them. So it's about a brother and sister set in the year 1968. Not much happened in that year, right? Uh, the brother <laughs> is a young Marine lieutenant serving in Vietnam. 
at the time of the large Tet Offensive, and then the sister, on the other hand, signs on to work on the campaign staff of Robert Kennedy as, as he makes his ill-fated quest for the presidency. So they couldn't be further apart in, uh, in, in geography and uh, certainly in, uh, in, in, in philosophy. And I wanted to write about heroism and honor as opposed to some of the stuff that's been written about the atrocities and depravities that, uh, that kind of took up a disproportionate amount of room. So uh, that's, the, uh, that's kind of the, uh, the, the theme that runs through Shall Never See So Much. You mentioned the atrocities, and, and that's still talked about today. It, it burns me up a little bit. You were there. Um, people that talk about atrocities don't really understand the culture. And just like today, we get very upset with the ISIS people and the, the atrocities that are going on in the Middle East. That's just everyday business to them. We can't get our head wrapped around that. To us, it's just foreign. And yet those people... They just walk away from it, and that's the way it was in Vietnam. Try, try to explain from your experience what I'm talking about. Get me off the hook here, will you, Jerry? Well, you know, there is, uh, there is evil in this world, apart from what, what, uh, what many might, uh, might think. Uh, and uh, I personally think that, uh, that the, uh, the way that these troops in, uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan have handled um, the uh, the rules of engagement, uh, which are, are fairly restrictive, and, and to, a, to a certain degree they were in Vietnam, I think they've handled them magnificently. Uh, but are there atrocities in war? Well, of course there are, and, and it's a uh, you know it's an unforgiving um, um, zero sum game, which um, you can't call those uh, those bullets back once they leave, and sadly, many people on the periphery get hurt in uh, in war, and that happened in Vietnam. But I, I think on the you know on the whole, the uh, uh, the performance of our troops in Vietnam and the performance of our troops in the subsequent war wars have been handled professionally and, uh, and and magnificently, at at as likely as it is at cost to our to our people too. I just think the professionalism is is extraordinarily high among our among our men and women in uniform. Well, as they say, the blood and treasure. Uh, the cost the first time around was tremendous, and now it appears that we're going to have to go and do that again. And I don't want to get political here, but it's just the kids that were over there that went through this, the families that lost loved ones that first time. This has just got to be uh, more than frustrating to see that we're going to have to do this again if we want to get things squared away. Yeah, I, I think the uh, I think the public, though, in general, the big the big turn I think came in 1990 with the first Gulf War, where there's a greater appreciation for our, our men and women in uniform now. That the, the behavior of the public or, or parts of the public toward the, uh, the returning soldiers and and Marines and airmen and sailors from Vietnam was was disgraceful in, in many ways, and I think it was one of the low points in, uh, in our nation's history. And I'm thankful that we don't uh, that we don't see that sort of thing now. Well, that's true. I can recall getting off a plane. Uh, or getting on a plane being told you don't want to wear that uniform when you get back off the plane at home. Exactly. Uh, you know, we don't need to see that again. Now, Shall Never See So Much is an award-winning novel. Share with us what awards you've won with that, please. Well, the one that uh, I'm probably the most proud of was uh, was a gold medal that was um, uh, awarded the book by the Military um, Writers Society of America, which was... Uh, uh, which was unexpected, but uh, but but certainly appreciated. So that's the, uh, you know, th those those are folks who uh, who typically read and judge, 
and their uh, and their awards. Uh, a lot of books that deal with the military, and a lot are written by people that have military backgrounds. So that was particularly uh, particularly well received. And the title again is "Shall Never See So Much," and you can find that on the Amazon page for Gerald Gillis, along with "Dare Not Blink." Am I right? That's correct. Doug. Okay. Now, before we close for tonight, we're getting close to that time. Uh, your business book has uh, led to another career. Let's put it that way. You are now a polished public speaker. <laughs> besides, besides being on the radio and the obvious uh, obligatory book signings, you also speak to groups and service clubs and high schools and stuff like that. Tell us some of the places you've been recently or in the last several years. Well, I'll, uh, you know, I speak to um, Kiwanis clubs and Rotary clubs and, and as you say, schools and associations. Uh, just about anybody that would have an interest in, uh, in putting up with me for 30 or 40 minutes. I talk about, uh, I talk about business ethics and, uh, and leadership traits. Uh, I'll, I also have a talk that, uh, that's a lot of fun that, uh, that deals with uh, uh, American legacy of service, where I take uh, three members, members of the military, and uh, and talk about their their service contributions. Uh, so that one's that one's been well received too. But essentially, any place that uh, you know that would that would have an interest in uh, in a guy talking about ethics or leadership or perseverance or or, or, or service, uh, that's uh, that's what I do now. Well, just like Dave Page, uh, you know, talking about ethics and loyalty and all that. That's not as pompous as it might sound to some people. We're not talking about rewriting a Magna Carta or the Declaration of Independence. We're just talking about writing down common sense, the things that we forget about. And exactly, and it, and it gives me a chance, Doug, to uh, you know to uh, to talk about the uh, the importance of the free enterprise system and how uh, how ethics yes. undergirds so much of that. Yes. Now, did I talk over you telling us how they can get in touch with you? How can these organizations reach out to you and well, get Gerald Gillis? Yeah, it's uh, there's a uh, there's a page on my on my website geraldgillis.com where they can uh, they can contact me. Uh, that uh, uh, there's a g e r a l d g i l l i s dot com. There's a there's a contact page uh, kind of at the uh, at the back of the website where they can uh, they can. Uh, they can send me a message. Okay. Now, is there anything that we have left out that you need to cover this morning? Uh, not that I, not that I can think of. It's been very thorough. It's been a well, pleasure to be good. with you. It's absolutely uh, been a pleasure to have you. Uh, do you have any? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you have any shout outs, as we say in the business? Anybody you want to yell out hi to? Sure. Um, if there's, uh, if there. Uh, <clears throat> readers out there who have read my <clears throat> excuse me read my work before, uh, thank you. And if there are those who were who are intent now upon buying uh, my books and reading them, thank you. And uh, certainly thank you for having me on, Doug. And if there are any members of the uh, of the U.S. military out there listening, then uh, then please know that this old Marine appreciates uh, what you're doing, and I thank you for that. You are indeed the very best in the world. This is an anniversary date, or yesterday was. Which is it, Jerry? Uh, anniversary. For the Marine Corps, was it not? No, uh, the anniversary day of the Marines is in uh, in November. I think there were a couple of uh, battles that were celebrated recently. Well, heck, I'm not far off. I saw something yesterday that referred to that and made a mental note, so I'll scratch that one. 
Uh, at any rate, we appreciate all of you out there and all the services. I was in the Army. I was uh, Signal Corps, so I didn't get to go out there and holler simplify, but we appreciate <laughs> you guys. We really do. One more time, tell the folks where they can find Gerald Gillis's novels. That's Page's Laws of Business. is a free ebook to do with Dare Not Blink. Also, shall never see so much. Where can yep. they go, Jerry? Yeah, they can go online and find them through uh, through Amazon or uh, or Barnes and Noble. Smashwords has the Pages Laws of Business, the free book, and they have uh, links to all of those books through my website at geraldgillis.com. All right, now, folks, we have been honored this morning to have Gerald Gillis. I call him Jerry here with us to tell us about his great work. And please, I, I implore you, check out his work. And look for him to come to your organization to speak. You'll enjoy that as well. And, again, thank you so much, Jerry, for being here with me this morning. Thank you, Doug. It's been a pleasure. All right. Now, audience, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this installment of the prologue and that you'll join me each week for yet another terrific writer and their book. You may not even know about these folks now, Gerald's one you probably have heard of, but there'll be some you've never heard of before, so you want to be here every week. Until then, check out the podcast versions of all my programs on our show's webpage here at America's Web Radio. And again, my name is Doug Dahlgren. I'll see you next week. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.